0: Hi, everyone. This is Michelle Gale. I'm so grateful you're here. And before we get started, I just wanted to share with you that I'll be launching my first ever free online conference called Mindful Parenting in a Messy World from September 18th to the 20th. We're going to have 15 speaker interviews, some of which include Rick Hansen, Susan Kaiser Greenland, Dr. Shafali Sabari. You can register at conference.michellegale podcast. Make sure to register here because I'll be sending my podcast listeners a free bonus webinar titled Big Emotions and What to Do with Them. You can also find that link in the podcast notes. And I'm also offering a four-week online course in October called Mindful Parenting, The Foundations of Practice. It'll be a weekly course focused on mindfulness of the breath, body, emotions, and thoughts. We'll have a private Facebook group and weekly practices, And it will be recorded each time so you can watch whenever it works for you. I'd love to have you join me. You can go to my website, BeAMindfulParent.com for more information or just sign up to my weekly email list and you'll stay up to date on all the ways we can grow together as a community and you will also receive my weekly musings. (laughs) Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the podcast, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I'm your host, Michelle Gale, and I am here today with officially his name is James Gimeon, but I can't not call him Jim Gimeon. And he is the executive director of the Foundation for a Mindful Society, which publishes Mindful Magazine and mindful.org, both epic resources if you're looking to learn more about mindfulness in all sectors of society. He's been active as a writer, teacher, and community builder in the mindfulness world for over 25 years, and he's one of my very dearest friends, and I'm so glad to share him with you. Welcome, Jim.
1: Thank you so much, Michelle. It's great to be here.
0: I would love to start. um, Before we kind of hopped on the call, you were telling me a little bit about the history of uh, Mindful Magazine and when mindful.org was started about seven years ago. And just to let our listeners know the intention of this podcast, it won't be specifically parenting focused, although I may bring some things in, but I really invited Jim in to be able to give us an overview of what is going on in society, around the country and around the world even, um, where mindfulness is concerned. So that's the intention of this program. So Jim, would you mind starting off and just kind of telling us how things started and and where they are now for you and the work that you're doing?
1: I'm happy to do that. Uh, but before I do, I just want to take a moment to thank you for your work, for your book in particular, which I had uh, even though my my only child is now thirty-one years old, mm-hmm. the issues that you addressed were still so familiar. And the kind of humor uh and and, and realness that you 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 addressed them was very, very helpful for me still. And I, I can only imagine for many, many parents. So I just wanted to start with a note because the world we the world we launched mindful to serve is is the world that you're in the center of, that is mm-hmm. uh, champions in the community who are bring, bringing mindfulness programs, mindfulness practices in to benefit people in need. And uh, so really, if you want to know why we started Mindful, it was because of people doing what you're doing now and with your book and every day. So, mm,
0: Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate that.
1: Um So, you know, our inspiration, having been in this field uh, in a variety of ways, as you say, writing and publishing uh, and practicing for decades, we saw the emergence of mindfulness entering the mainstream. And um, we launched Mindful in order to help support champions to accelerate this process and to be contributing what we could of genuine content, practices, uh, material that was evidence-backed, that was credible, that we knew would actually benefit people and produce some of the the good things that research indicates could happen. So when we started, it was all about individuals reducing their stress and... um, becoming better focused performing more in the workplace but the very interesting thing in the five or six years since we've been publishing mindful and mindful.org is now the conversation is turning to um society mm. the whole systems so that mindfulness say in education is no longer simply about can we help with behavioral issues or or help support the learning process But the conversation is now expanding to public policy about education in our country, how central social and emotional learning skills are to uh, a democratic society, uh, to producing uh, um, people who are productive at home and community as parents in the workplace. And so a lot of the things that I'm now doing as the executive director of the foundation are more about conversations like, say, our Mindful Cities project. Uh, and here's an instance where civic leaders have noticed, well, somebody's doing mindfulness in the schools and somebody else is doing mindfulness in the hospitals and some companies are training and they're realizing, could there be benefit if somehow we tie all these threads together? Mm. Uh, you know, if we bring in conversation to the leadership of our city uh, through all sectors to come, with a, come together with a kind of common view and training uh, skills, able to um, increase the ability to collaborate and create a flourishing society. Mm. So that just happened to us. We didn't plan this thing called Mindful Cities, but civic leaders from different cities started contacting us and saying, hey, we know it's time to talk about how we bring all this together but well, we don't exactly know what to do or who to talk to. Can you help us?
0: Yeah, and so what is it looking like right now? And Jim, there's a little tiny bit of feedback if you want to hold up your microphone. It might be rubbing against your shirt or something. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, what does it look like? I mean, you're starting to speak with, there's a few different cities. Are, is, it, are you, is it okay for you to share some of the cities that you're speaking with right now? And what is it looking like? What are those conversations looking like?
1: Well, they're all different. Because they come from the inspiration of community leaders who know their communities and what their communities need and and we like that. we like the fact that our work again is to support the inspiration and the local knowledge on the ground of of community leaders so uh the other thing I'll say is we're we're trying to move very slowly um, i'm almost um, I'm very conscious about not rolling out a big website and a lot of announcements because there are already a lot of cities hearing about it, contacting us, and asking how they can join in. And we haven't really geared up one of the challenges of a, of a small nonprofit is it's not like we can roll out a whole staff ready to take on these new challenges. Yeah. But I'd be happy to share with you, you know, some of the things that have come up. Um, Flint, Michigan, which, uh, you know, is pretty well established as, as a model city for, uh, post-industrial U.S. with wow. big industries leaving and jobs leaving and a lot of challenges having to do with the economy. And then more recently, the devastating, awful uh, water poisoning that happened through wa- their drinking water being put through lead pipes. Yeah, And the community decided that, among other things, mindfulness would be a really helpful element to rebuild resilience in the city. And a very highly trusted local family foundation I uh, was given the responsibility to uh, present it in the community and mindfulness for the schools, and um, they had done a little work, so they weren't totally unfamiliar with it. But it meant a whole new level of being informed, and 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 basically, the leader of that fund, that foundation started just going to f- conferences and trying to meet people and figure out what to do. Yeah. And by the time um, we met him, you know, he was just ready to 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 receive the help of some people who knew. What programs are out there? Which of them might be uniquely tailored for his community's needs? What could be the best next steps? Again, not supplanting his decision-making and his local authority, but supporting it. Yeah. Uh, a little bit different in the city of uh, Jackson, Wyoming, known to be you know, a very wealthy town, but really, if you look beneath the surface, with the same kinds of challenges that many other cities with 30% of the workforce there to support the tourism industry and challenges in the school and housing shortage and a civic leadership that at times was at odds with each other rather than coming together to, to, um, uh, to solve problems. So their initiative was about bringing social and emotional learning and mindfulness programs to create a, a, um, a more civil civic dialogue among all the leaders and it's just now starting but shows promise to uh, over, you know, a long period of time, develop a new outlook for how civic leadership can 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 create a real robust city, which, as you can imagine, is, I told the the um, the supporters when I was last in Jackson, that not only would it be of great benefit to Jackson, but it could be a model for other cities who who are all in you know encountering uh challenges of how to come together and 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 have differing views combined to produce um common welfare for everyone in their in their city so those are just two examples yeah uh, of what we're calling some pri- uh pilot projects some ways to test the waters see how we can help uh and little by little see how that can maybe like create a, a whole menu of helpful practices that new cities who would like to adopt some of these practices can have a place to turn to and get a leg up to start the process and, uh, go through it a little, a little bit easier.
0: And what, what are you noticing? I mean, I know I'm always curious cause now you've got so much content on mindful.org. I use it as a resource all the time when I'm doing research for my projects or, um, you know stories I'm working on, podcasts I'm working on, and of course, my I have my whole stack of Mindful Magazine I can see in my office <laughs> right now, all tagged up with my notes. So it's become this amazing resource. What are you noticing? People are looking for the most. What are the um, What are the trends that you're seeing um, that people are coming to? to mindfulness for and and it sounds like what you are all beginning to become and and you'll see how it evolves is kind of this You know support space for what's going on in society around mindfulness and it's so nice going to the grocery store and seeing mindful magazine there next to the people magazine and Um, time magazine because it really puts it in this place of you know this is a part of society
1: right right
0: no i love that um what are some of the things that that you're noticing from the data you're getting on on mindful.org
1: i think your example of seeing mindful on the newsstand there at your grocery food checkout counter right next to time or people is actually also the the answer to the question you raise uh we're going from a period where uh, m- mindfulness and mindful practices were not only not familiar or widely accepted, but they were viewed uh, you know, with a little bit of suspicion that this was uh, something either foreign or woo-woo. And I think a lot of our effort uh, in creating content that can be part of the makeup of people's worlds is to normalize it, to make it uh, more routine and more default and easier to integrate you know, as you well known as, as a, as a parent of two active young boys, it's hard to find the time to do another thing, to fit another practice, another routine into your busy life. So more and more, uh, we're looking at ways that, uh, these kinds of practice can, can really be integrated into the moment. Yeah. You don't have to go somewhere else or do something, uh, very different, but in a moment, in five breaths, in, the time that you have between stimulus and response, you can do a little something that improves the quality of your time with your kids, the time with your loved ones, your time at work uh, for not just um, mitigation of stress, but also for more creativity, for more innovation. And I think it's that uh, not so much the dedicated practices where you're going to go off and do something, but it's the integrated practices the, the ways in which things can be really woven in we're we're working on one project that would have us uh create specific content for school teachers mm. you know as, as as much as um there are um zillions of programs to improve the quality of our kids school there's a lot of evidence that points to how the nervous system of the teacher can have a beneficial impact for the kids in the school. In the same way all of us know instantaneously how our presence can be calming and beneficial for our kids. Imagine the same thing in the in the classroom. So if we can give teachers a way to integrate practices that will um, calm their nervous systems and make them feel um, healthier and better, bring their full presence to the classroom, we think that will have a very strong positive impact on kids' classrooms. So, that's a project that we set aside uh, uh, time and 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 um, an effort to to um, to ramp up as one of our projects.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate that, and I'm thinking of you know our friend Dan Siegel, you know his his research and his work around interconnected neurobiology that tells us our nervous systems are very much connected and we're not separate as we appear to be to the to the naked eye and. And yes, I you know that's so much of what I teach to parents um, that you know we're always focusing on ourselves first. You know, anything right, we want right. to see and change in our children, you know, change it within us first. Work with ourselves first, and and I think that's so important for the teachers. I know I taught for a few years at my son's school, and there was a lot of education for me to do with the teachers that when I came in to teach mindfulness. The importance of them practicing with the kids, not to be using that time as catch up work, which is so tempting. Teachers are so over, you know, worked and they don't have enough time in their schedule. But for the kids to see them practicing and and the importance of practice for themselves,
1: I don't know why it is, but it's always hardest to take care of ourselves. You know, we yes. we hear from that from even from teachers; they're so heroic in wanting to be there for their kids that our content uh, is going to be more effective if we present it to them, not as self-care for teachers, because they don't really want to focus on that. They want to focus on what they can do for the kids in the class. So we're we're um, encouraging them to um, pick up the content based on being better in the classroom. It's so so hard for us to realize that the better we do take care of ourselves, yeah, the more we're going to be present and, and and bring benefit to those around us. It's so true.
0: It's so. Can true. you fix that one?
1: Can how about your next book? <laughs> I'll huh? just
0: I'll just write a book on that.
1: Yes, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I know something that's so in everyone's mind today is politics. Um, we have a um, you know a lot of de- divisive language and things going on in our political system that are difficult for us all to be with. And I wonder what you're hearing. I know we have Tim Ryan, um, you know, who wrote the book of Mindful Nation, who's a good friend of yours and a friend of mine, who's out there, you know, within the political arena, really trying to bring these practices in, and of course to his community in Ohio. What other things are you hearing about in politics that give you, I'm looking for some hope here, Jim. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, well if if uh, if you haven't previously announced it uh y- you probably know that a reissue of tim's book with updating is coming out uh, any day now oh great and i think that'll be interesting because much more and you know a f- lot of things have changed in the five years since he wrote it and he's updated it and and it's very well timed because he doesn't want to bring that whole issue to the political arena um i think that with the fracturing no matter what side of the political landscape you're on one thing we can agree on is that there's a fracturing that's taken place and people aren't talking to each other and people are feeling marginalized on the national political uh landscape so that's why we think the focus on cities is going to have some positive impact Mm. and i think that's where there are some some really inspiring leaders who are bringing a whole array of mindfulness and social emotional learning practices in to help with how people organize themselves on a real local level and i think we're seeing a lot of inspiration and and i think that's where i would turn uh, at least in the um in the u.s sadly we're lagging behind um the uk who's really leading in mindfulness training for legislatures and i'll i'll share with you that um I'm part of a small group that has advised the um, uh, Canadian parliament on starting mindfulness practice for members of parliament. And uh, our good friend, Rich Fernandez, was just in Ottawa, not three weeks ago, presenting the second um, class to a group of, of, um, or really open house, I should say, to a group of interested members of parliament um, and so there's a, a real serious interest and uh, determination to bring um, mindfulness practice to members of parliament and as well to people who work in, in government to to be able to address the same kinds of things, the, the uh, level of stress and pressure uh, in that work and to make the quality of the work better and um, to improve the health of the people who are taking on that kind of work. So. There's a little bit of hope in there, particularly, uh, you know, in in, in cities across um, the U.S., that you'd be surprised at places like maybe uh, Wichita and um, Miami and Menlo Park and, as I said, Flint and Boston and uh, a number of additional places where these kinds of conversations are are happening at the city level.
0: That's great to hear. And i it's great to hear. You know, I love what the, the UK, the parliamentary group, is called the Mindfulness All-Party Parliamentary Group in the UK. Right, right. <laughs> and I right. use their definition for mindfulness quite a bit. And there's a, yeah. it's a longer version, but I love the, um, the paying attention to what's happening in the present moment in the mind, body, and external environment with an mm-hmm. attitude of curiosity and kindness. And I love how they have the curiosity and kindness in there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No, they're very impressive. Uh, Jamie Bristow, the executive director, and Chris Rouan, the member of parliament, uh, will be in the Bay Area in early 2019, meeting with some some folks um, who are interested in learning about what they're doing. So maybe you'll have a chance to meet them.
0: Yeah, I would love to. I would really love to, and I'd love to. You know under politics right in all of these education and all these pieces in society there's people which is what this what you're aiming to reach who you're aiming to reach and you know i have when i think about our society right now at least in the u.s um i think a lot and i reflect a lot just about the suffering that is that, that feels very present And even if it's not, you can't see it as suffering, but, you know, the being lost in media and, you know, being lost in, you know, the phones and, you know, just the kind of consumerism that to keep the, you know, keep everything going and, you know, how families don't spend as much time together. And there's just less connection from person to person. Like I find it, even though I'm very focused on it, I have to create really pay attention to make sure I'm not just working and like exercising and taking a walk on my own, you know, that I'm getting together with friends, that I'm connecting with people outside of my home. And that feels so prevalent. Um, Do you hear that when you're around the country? What do you hear people sharing about what's hard for them?
1: Well, my focus is often on when these things um, reach a level of policy conversation. Mm. And um, I think, again, uh, they may be a little bit ahead of us um, in the UK where they are realizing that this lack of connection is actually a major health crisis. Yes. And they're actually addressing it on the level of... uh, ministerial function in their government to 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 fully focus on the causes and and antidotes uh, because it's being shown by research to be producing you know serious psychological mental and physical uh ailments so i think you're you're definitely on to something we are no doubt seeing the um you know the challenges because of everything that's Making us feel disconnected, but somehow our sort of American tough it out hero strength that we have and is wonderful can sometimes, you know, work against us. Identifying something like the challenge of of uh, lack of connection and, yeah. and you know working to to kind of uh, improve things in that area. So <clears throat> I do see it um i'm just not sure again on this side of the water uh in in um you know i would guess probably another two or three years you'll start seeing com- coming uh, research reported out of academia in the united states so so i think we're probably just a little way away but i think you're on the right track and it is programs like this and books like yours and the work that a lot of your friends and my friends are doing i think that will um tip the scales counteract it yeah. yeah yeah i mean i you know the thing that i would say the individual scene that's affected me more than anything and i you know i travel around a lot to see what people are doing in terms of what we report on but also to see where the where the trends are going i spent some time in louisville kentucky uh going into the classroom where the compassionate schools uh research is being done it's a two year uh curriculum meaning each of the kids the 10,000 kids that are part of it will be exposed Uh, for two years to the curriculum. It's being researched by the University of Virginia School of Education, uh, and they're hoping to show the benefits. So uh, then producing a curriculum that any school can adopt for Mm -hmm. free to bring the same practices in. But this one day was a grade two class, seven-year-old young boy who obviously in the middle of the class had a very major emotional eruption, the kind of thing that up to that point would have gotten him into a fight or acting up, sent to the, you know, the principal's office and detention or whatever uh, would ensue. And on this day, using the, the little way of putting his hand on his belly and the other hand on his chest, that he isolated himself from the class, sat in the corner, calmed himself down, spent some time, and then re-entered. Wow. The class, and, and and I asked the teacher about afterwards, and she told me about a time that had happened before that where he actually had to go to the counselor. They didn't send him to the principal, but to the counselor who knew about the course and its curriculum. So the counselor got him to recall the practice that he'd been taught. At that point, he, you know, he, he was a little newer in it. But he, he, he then showed the counselor about this way of bringing himself back into equilibrium regulating his own nervous system and then he he did it he had that impact on himself and then he told a story uh him and his mom live in a shelter his father is in prison his mom is in works full time and is is in college so she's pretty maxed out (laughs) and he recalled the time to the counselor when the police came into the shelter looking for something wanting to question his mom and he taught his mom this technique Oh to be able gosh. to calm herself down and not be so reactive. And you see that scene and you hear that story, and you don't really need a lot more scientific research to realize the benefits that mindfulness practices can have in our society.
0: Yeah. And
1: you know, that's what keeps us going.
0: That's a beautiful story. And and it is, you know, our youth, our children really have can access these practices from what I've seen over the years, just teaching children and teaching adults, <laughs> the children, they have access very quickly. Um, so there's a lot of low hanging fruit. And I love that those, there's such a focus from your organization into education because that's where they are. You know, that's where they are, spend most of their time throughout the year is in an education. Right. And that's yeah. so empowering. I mean, just listening to that story, I was getting goosebumps it's just so empowering for that young person to know what to do
1: yeah
0: right just to know what to do and you know i've taught my boys over the years you know many little tri- tricks and tips and how to calm themselves down and how to stay with their emotions and and i see that you know i see them regulating themselves and and I'm able to point it out the way that it sounds like, you know, these teachers did to him. I'm saying, you know, I yep. noticed how you did that. I noticed you knew what to do and you did it and nobody had to tell you. So it's really beautiful.
1: Yeah. It's very inspiring. I mean, <laughs> I would say I'd love to have had that skill when I was in that right? second grade class. Cause at that point I was getting sent to the principal for getting into fights. <laughs> but in fact, If I wasn't so embarrassed, I'd say, I wish I had those skills right now
0: (laughs) as an adult, you know? (laughs) You're one of the most wonderful people I know. know, well. (laughs) Yeah. But still,
1: you know, there are those moments that we we all uh, can benefit from knowing those simple ways of regulating our nervous system and our emotions that can carry us away.
0: Yes, yes. Well, thank you, Jim. We're just about out of time. So I just want to make sure everyone knows, again, just mindful.org, pick up Mindful Magazine, subscribe to Mindful Magazine. Mindful.org also is a nonprofit and they are always fundraising. If you are able to donate, go to their website. If you know a family foundation or others that you know care about mindfulness and are able to support them financially, they are just doing some of the most important work in our field, and I'm so grateful for you and everyone there, Jim.
1: Well, thank you, thank you so much for your 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 support and those kind words, and you know, just for your ongoing work and inspiration. Um, it's it's um, as I said at the outset, it's the reason we're inspired to do what we do, and I think together that we can bring uh, benefit to people who are. Um, suffering from a whole variety of challenges. Um, And you know, what better way could we spend our time? So thank you so much for your, for your work.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And join their, join their mailing list because the the content on mindful.org, I know I said it already, but it's just so good. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Well, we're going to say goodbye to you, Jim. Bye, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. We'll say goodbye to our listeners. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.